Are you ready? Ready to bring a revolution to your relationships? Ready for the experiences on your dating adventure to evolve? Ready for more passion, intimacy, connection, and love in your relationship? Ready to heal past relationship wounds? You're in the right place. I'm Alan, the Love Engineer, and this is the Relationship Revolutions Podcast. In this series, you'll get guidance and tips from me, interviews from other relationship experts, insights from couples who already have a great relationship, and other mind-opening conversations. Hey, and welcome to Relationship Revolutions. This week, my guest is Brooke Bounds. Brooke is an accredited trauma coach, therapist, and global number one best-selling author. She works with businesswomen who feel stuck to break through their barriers and want to move on to the next level in their business. And she does this by helping them heal their inner child wounds so that they can find their own power and confidence to go forward. Brooke is passionate about this, and she once felt powerless and scared to show up in the world as herself. Then she started working on her mind and her body, and she discovered who she really was and the love of the feeling of inner contentment and confidence. She went from being scared to being a public speaker, live on stage, even though she's an introvert. Yet she discovered how to rewire and regulate her own nervous system, heal her inner child wounds so that she could achieve her dreams. And now she helps other people do the same thing. She knows she can put her hand on her heart and say, it can be done as she's walked in similar shoes to yours. She's felt your fears and she has been frustrated by those blocks. A little bit about Brooke's background. She had an abusive relationship growing up with a narcissistic mother and then moved on to two abusive relationships. She's been homeless and brought up four children single-handed. She has a unique way of understanding people where they are at and helping them find their true power. She now lives in a house in the countryside with her husband and runs a successful business whilst having fun adventures in their camper van. And now to my conversation with Brooke. G'day Brooke and welcome to Relationship Revolutions. Initially I'd like to ask you uh, two questions. How are you and where are you? Uh, great questions. I'm I'm great. Thank you very much. And I'm in Shropshire, which is um, for those who don't know, it's next door to Wales, near enough. So <laughs> I live about twenty minutes away from Wales. It's really nice in the Shropshire Hills, or I'm in my front room. Depends on which way you want to see it. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, indeed. So, and I know we've worked together in a part in the past with uh, you coaching me. So one of the things that in I like to ask when I have coaches on. When you have the careers office interviews and career paths put for, forward to you in school, being a life coach or any kind of coach is never one of them. So how did you get to do what you do now? Um, life experience, really. Um, by accident, <laughs> actually, I became a coach. Um, I um, had a friend who wanted to go to like a, a coach, a free coaching weekend. She wanted to go on her own. And she said, do you fancy coming with me? I thought, oh, I like to learn. Why not? And when I went to the coaching weekend, I thought, oh, I already do that with my friends. I, I already do that. And a few of my friends already said, you really should do this and get paid for it. So that kind of like started my journey. I then signed up for you know, the actual coaching certification. And the rest, they say, is, is history. So um, that's where it kind of like all started off and, and I started off being a mindset coach and then I discovered that just sorting out your mind wasn't enough. And I realized I'd got a lot of trauma stored in my body. So I then got into the trauma side of it and the inner child wounds. And that was a game changer for me because I'd got that. I've got a really strong mindset. I've got my knowledge. I've got my skills. But why am I feeling like I'm going to be sick every time I want to go and do something? Why is my palms really sweaty? Why am I, is my heart pounding? And it's like, okay, well, I can feel the fear and do it anyway. But I thought, actually, no, I don't want to do that. So once I realised it was the trauma that was trapped in my body and, and causing the fear and then the and the issues, 
I thought, okay, right, feel that fear, process that fear, and then go on and enjoy doing whatever it is that I wanted to do. So that really kind of set me down the track of, of helping people to like heal their inner child wounds so they don't have to feel hot and sweaty and have their heart pounding out of their chest and feeling sick just because they want to go and do a, a quick Facebook Live or whatever it is that they want to do that their body's going, no, that doesn't feel safe to do type thing. So, so yeah, my own experience of having a traumatic childhood and being in narcissistic relationships um, kind of led me down this path really to being the um, in the child coach that I am today in a nutshell. Excellent. Yeah. When you say my mindset is often not enough, that's, that's something I've found for myself as well, because so often the, when you're in a challenging event and that fear comes up, you notice the sensations in your body arise first mm-hmm. And then the mind says, oh, this means I'm not enough or because of something else that happened in the past or whatever ever it may be. Yeah, you still hear all these mindset coaches saying, change your thoughts, you change your life, which there are elements of truth in that. But the mind alone doesn't heal the body and the body keeps the score at the end of the day. Absolutely. Yeah. And I always liken it to um, the inner child, the, the four core wounds, the inner child is not feeling good enough, worthy, lovable or important. And I always like to use the analogy that our inner child is a bit like the puppet master and we are the puppet. When the inner child doesn't feel safe or secure, it will pull on the strings and kind of like pull us back. And we're like, oh, okay, we're not doing that then. And it's because that inner child doesn't feel feel safe and secure and, and they will control what we actually decide to do unless we do that thing where we could just keep pushing and like we're sweating the way through it, you know, our heart's pounding and feeling sick. But that's that to me is not a nice way to live. So, you know, and I want, I'm on a mission to help as many people as I can to realize that, that there is a different way of life to live that they can do the things that they want to do without feeling sick without their heart pounding without their palms being all sweaty without them like you know being soaking wet with sweat you know because they're pushing themselves through like they're doing a major workout when they're actually not <laughs> physically doing a workout yeah absolutely and you mentioned the fear of going live on social media and that's something i hear quite a few people say when I'm out networking and I said, well, you don't have to get it right the first time. They said, Oh, do I do? I do. I says, and then I tell them about the story of your first Facebook live. They said, Oh, I I didn't get it wrong. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I still tell my clients that story to this day. So, and you know, it is, it's like, and I, and it's, again, it's, it's to do with the mindset as well. Of course it is. And it's like, thinking about okay I'm either if you think I'm either going to succeed or fail you've got a 50 50 chance and your body's going oh that doesn't feel too good but if you think okay I'm either going to succeed or I'm going to learn from this that's a win-win situation so your body's more likely to go oh that feels better yeah let's go and do do that you know and I absolutely love making mistakes now like um a few months ago I did a uh TikTok and I realized after I put the after 6,000 people had viewed it that the autocorrector changed the the your from y-o-u-r to y-o-u apostrophe r-e so the grammar wasn't correct but not one single person said oh that heading's not spelt correctly but lots of people messaged me saying thank you very much for that tiktok that's exactly what i needed to hear so you know and then i took a screenshot of it and um, then did a facebook post about it and everybody's like oh yeah well you know we all make mistakes you know nobody's perfect it's all okay you know and thank you for sharing that it makes me feel better when i've made a mistake or whatever it is so i'm all about letting people know it's okay you know because nobody is perfect we're all kind of like going for that illusion of yeah it must all like be absolutely perfect where as you quite rightly sort of like mentioned my first facebook live was far from perfect but i ended up getting a couple of clients from it so you know um, people see the human side of us as well, and, and people like to be able to see that side because they can relate to us more as well. So, for those people who are listening and aren't familiar with the with that story of your Facebook Live, would you like to share with them what happened? <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> well, I, I was back then. I was re- very, very nervous about doing um, a Facebook Live, and I've been doing them in my group, okay. But my coach said to me, "Go do one on your personal profile," and my body immediately went. <gasps> Oh my goodness. And so I procrastinated for, for quite a long time. And um 
work on how I work now. Um, procrastination is like a protector part that comes in to protect our inner child. And I was doing everything I could to like not do this Facebook Live, even to the point of where I'm not sure everybody's got it. Um, that drawer in the kitchen that's a bit messy with the odd pen top, the paper clip, and the elastic band. I even tidied that all out, so that was really tidy. But then the day to do the Facebook Live, I thought, okay, I've got myself all revved up, you know, even though my heart was pounding and my palms were sweaty. But I'm not great at tech and most people who know me know that. And I, because I was so nervous and I couldn't think because my body was like in, in this vital throat kind of mood and mind. And it was like, okay, I can't think how to switch the camera around. And all everybody could see was my carpet. So I just kind of like made a joke and said, well, thankfully I've hoovered today, but I'm all geared up to, to say what I need to say. So I'm just going to say it anyway. And I had a couple of people message me saying, I can so relate to that. It's it's something I would probably do. And it's so refreshing to see somebody that hasn't got the perfect backdrop, the perfect lighting, perfectly scripted Facebook Live. You know, you're so, so relatable, you know, and I've been following you for a while. So can I have a chat with you about having some coaching sessions? And like I said, after that, I signed up two clients just because I messed up my Facebook Live. So I tell all my clients that who are a bit nervous doing a Facebook Live and I say to them, do you know how to flip the camera around? They're like, yeah, of course I do. I'm like, well, then you're going to be much better at it than me on your first go. So, you know, but now because I've, I've done it so many times and I'm not worried about being perfect, I will just think of a something to talk about and just go on Facebook. When I first started, it was like I had an A4 sheet that I was reading off the whole script sort of thing and trying to be all sorted and perfect. But at the end of the day, people just want to see see you as you and they can relate to that. So, you know, um, so yeah, make the mistakes because you'll you'll end up getting clients from it is my message anyway. <laughs> and yes, I obviously went on to build a, not- build a successful business, so it, it hasn't affected me <laughs> in a negative yeah, way. N- none of us are perfect. None of us are perfect, and I can certainly relate to the not wanting to go live thing. And in some ways, I still, I'm not a fan of it today. And what I find is it's not so much the talking to the camera, because I'm doing that now. It's the looking at myself on that little screen, thinking, who wants to look at that? Who wants to listen to that? And then you get the feedback, and you think, okay, well, maybe I do have some useful things it's that little um little inner voice that keeps saying you're not enough you're not enough and all that kind of thing which i know we've worked on in the past and i always remember that little free reframing thing i did of that inner voice that was saying you're not enough when i was picturing it as the incredible hulk in front of me so i changed it to something else that was green and a lot smaller i changed it to kermit the fog and brilliant then lost a lot of the power behind it absolutely yeah and and that isn't and it but thinking about just a facebook live it's not a natural thing to do to to talk to yourself in a little screen either so you know normally people when they're talking to somebody are talking to a different face so it's it's understanding that it's not a natural thing to do and so it's okay to feel a bit strange doing it you know and I'm an introvert so you know that's not a natural thing for me to do to be in front of a camera and, and chat to people and things like that and and I can remember when I did that first Facebook Live, my daughter came on and I kind of went, oh, uh, oh, my daughter's just appeared on. And after she went, why did you go a bit strange when I come on? Because I was only coming on to support you. But it really threw me because I was like, my nervous system was already in that fight flight situation. And it was like, oh, my goodness, now my daughter's here, you know. But, you know, it doesn't change the fact that I had the skills and the knowledge. It was just how I felt about it. So, yeah, yeah. It, it's and it's understanding how your body works. And, um, and the, the minute your body reacts in that way, it just sends a signal to your subconscious mind to say, where's the danger? Where's the danger? And it's constantly scanning for the danger. So it will stop you from doing the things you want to do. But it's understanding that's how your body's working and, and learning how to calm your nervous system down so you can go and do all sorts of things. Now, you know, I'll happily go talk on stage in front of hundreds of people and it doesn't bother me because I know how to calm my nervous system down and how to and how to help my inner child feel safe and secure and feel okay about standing on the stage and chatting in front of however many people. De- definitely. So this inner child, yeah. for, for people who are not familiar with it or have seen, seen the term on Facebook and whatever else, what is it? Where does it come from? Your inner child is basically you, but 
as a child and it's often when you've got inner child wounds it's so those things that you you didn't get as a child from your parents your teacher you didn't get seen and heard and validated for whatever reason and when a situation occurs that's similar then as an adult your inner child will go okay we can't do that because last time that happened that wasn't safe or whatever like with me for example I use me as the example I was scared to do a Facebook live because as a child when I spoke out I got into trouble so my inner child was basically saying no you can't speak out and talk to people because you're going to get into trouble now logically in my mind as an adult I knew I wasn't going to get into trouble but until you deal with those inner child wounds your body goes yeah. back to being that like little five or six year old. It hasn't date stamped it in the past. So your body's reacting like a little, oh my goodness, somebody's going to shout at us. So then we have what I call that, like I said, these protector parts, which is called like, you know, procrastination, self-sabotage, emotional eating, perfectionism. These are all protector parts that come in to protect our inner child. So those wounds don't get hurt anymore. So it's basically how you felt as a, a young child. It's those feelings that you're feeling that your body's, because as you said, the body always keeps a score. Our body's always remembering things and it's always giving us feedback and giving us data about what we need to heal and where we need to heal it. So when people say to me, oh, I feel really frustrated and I'm getting annoyed that I'm fr frustrated, I'm like, good, that's your body giving us information that that's where we need to work on. So it's getting curious about why that frustration part's coming up, why that annoyance part's coming up, why that anger part's coming up or whatever part it is. Why is that coming up? Why does it feel the need to protect your inner child? What does your inner child need from you right now? And that's what I help my clients do, to, to reparent themselves, to give them the things that they didn't necessarily get from either their parents, their teacher, or somebody, you know, when they were younger, that they didn't feel heard and seen and validated. So I help them to like kind of validate themselves and, and be seen and heard by themselves. So we learn to love ourselves and feel good enough and worthy ourselves than anybody else on the outside that does that. That's just a bonus on top. Yeah, so that inner child then stops growing at, at that point where it starts feeling that they're not enough, they're not loved, they don't yeah. matter or whatever that that language may be. So for some people, their inner child may be that five, six-year-old. And for others, it could be that stroppy teenager. Mm. Yeah, and it could be whatever point that something happened, you know, um, in their life. It could be like when they're, like you said, they're five or six. Like I had a, a client... Um, and I wrote it about uh, in my book, who at the age of seven did a math sum on, on the on the board, and the math teacher said, "You're useless at math," and threw the math rubber at her at the board rubber at her. But because she was that age, she didn't think, "Oh, maybe the math teacher's in a bad mood. Maybe he tripped over the cat, or maybe he's got a flat tire, or maybe he's stressed about something." As children, we take things as they're said, especially if they're from an adult, like, okay, I must be bad at maths. Yeah. And that affected her up until she was like in her 50s when she wanted to go for a promotion, but she needed a maths exam. So she called me in to help her to get over the fear of doing maths. So, you know, it could be just one sentence that's happened in our lives, you know, because often I talk about trauma and people go, well, I had a lovely childhood. I haven't got any trauma. But, you know, people see trauma as like somebody going off to war and fighting or being in a major car crash or something. Yeah. But it can be that one little sentence that's, that sticks. You know, people have had weight issues because, you know, some loving uncle or aunt or somebody's joked about and said, hiya, chubs, how you doing? And that's kind of like stuck with them thinking, oh, I must be chubby, therefore I need to, you know, lose that weight. And it can lead, to, you know, and not... And, the adult's not necessarily done it intentionally, but it depends because children can take things and have two and two and add them up to five. We, It's how we perceive them as children, not necessarily what's been said as the adult as well. So it's understanding that it's how we feel about things. It's not a case of blaming the adult for like, oh my goodness, my uncle wrecked my life because he called me chubs or whatever. It's actually how we feel about it and what can we do about it to, to look at that situation differently so we feel better about ourselves. Yeah. Um, I had a kinesiology session with uh, our mutual friend Lynn a while back. And I was looking at some, with that, looking at some of the inner child stuff the I don't matter thing. And mm. what we found, what I found really interesting with that is some of it was absolutely nothing to do with me. Some of it actually went back generations to a girl that was pregnant at 14 and had the baby taken off her. 
back in the eighteen yeah, hundreds. Trauma can go go back like seven seven generations. So so yeah, sometimes what we're feeling isn't actually our trauma. It can be from generations beforehand, and things can get passed passed down. If I had a pound for every client that came to me and said, "Well, that's not the way it's done in our family," or our family don't do it that way, I'd be a lot richer than I am now because we tend to do things that that our parents did that, that and they do things that their parents did, but we don't ever question actually does this actually sit with me does this work for me in my life right now we just keep doing it because it's always been done that way so what I do is get my clients to get curious and like okay well what way would suit you what would help you you know and how can we do it differently even if it were you know especially like often like you know grandparents who you know who've grown up in the war have got that real scarcity thing about them you know whereas we don't have to have that scarcity thing necessarily for ourselves and that doesn't sit and work with us but it worked well for our for our grandparents they had a really good reason for doing it but it doesn't mean to say that we have have the same reasons or the same motives to do them as well yes it's not that many generations ago where people used to send kids up up chimneys and down coal mines and whatever else. And that's got, I would think that's got to have affected the kids at the time, which then become parents and gets passed down as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and parenting, the way things were parented, you know, when I was a young child, it was it was a norm to get a clip around the the ear roll, not only from your parents, but from any other adult if you were misbehaving slightly. Yeah. You know, it was the done thing. But you know, nowadays we would wouldn't do that, wouldn't dream of doing that. So it's just thinking, is this actually, you know, the way I want to have my life? Does it sit right with me? Does it feel right with me? You know, I've had people that have had like generations of families be doctors or or lawyers. It's like, well. I actually want to be an artist. Well, why not? Well, I can't because, you know, we're all lawyers in our family. Yeah, All the women are lawyers or all the, the men are doctors or whatever it was. Well, actually, but do you want to be a lawyer or a doctor or whatever it is or whatever the occupation the family has? Like, no, I don't, not really. So, well, then do, what do you want to do? Yeah, well, I can't do what I want to do because my family will get upset. So you're going to live your life miserable because because your family might not like it, you know, for a few months and they will we'll understand eventually. But so it's it's understanding that we don't have to live the life that we feel we should do. We feel obligated to live because everybody else has done it in our, in our previous yeah. generations. Yeah, I think especially through those teen years and university years, if we want to do something different to what our parents believe that we should, it can be very hard to stand up to them and say, no, I'm going to do my thing because even at that age there's still a strong sense of there are security there are protection their food yeah. shelter and everything else yeah it is it it is but i tend to talk a lot to um women that are in their sort of like late 30s onwards where actually they've done that sort of thing i think actually well, i want to do something different now you know they, they may have had their children like kind of grown up and left home and they've got that emptiness sort of feeling and they've, they've got that time to think about their sales it's like actually what do i want to do you know do i want to carry on this career or, or you know actually no i've always dreamt of being x y and z well you know there's, there's nothing stopping you from being x y z even if you are in your 30s 40s or 50s you can change your career anytime you want to change it you know there's and it's having that letting people realize that that they can change it they don't have to stay with what they they started off with when they were like 15 16 and what they studied for at uni if they don't want to yeah yeah i think there's still some of that talk around you get a job you get a career and you're sorted for life but these days people change their jobs all the time Mm. yeah Absolutely, you know, it's like my my dad was a farmer. His dad was a farmer. You know, farmer was like through our generations, and it wasn't expected of me to be a farmer because I was a girl. It sounds really sexist, but that's the way it was back then. But my <laughs> my brother just wanted to join the army. He didn't want to be a farmer, and the uproar that caused us like what. What do you mean you're not going to to be a farmer? It's like we're all farmers. This family. It's like I don't want to be a farmer. I want to go in the army. You know. So, um, even like sort of like recently doing that sort of thing. You know. But my parents got over it, and, and he went in the army, and he got his um 
lorry driving HGV and has been a lorry driver all his life once he came out of the army and, and is, is happy do, doing that because he wasn't interested in farming. At the two of us, I was more the, the farmer than he was, but nobody expected me to be the farmer because I was a girl. So, you know, back in the like early 70s, it was like that was the sort of thing, you know, so... But it is, it's it's thinking about what you want to do, you know, and thankfully my brother did sort of stand up and say, well, actually, no, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go join the army and did what he wanted to do, which was, you know, which I'm, I'm really pl- pleased that he did that. But, you know, if you've spent 20 years of your life miserable in in an occupation that you don't enjoy, why spend the next 20 years of it, you know, doing that? We, we're, you know, it's the famous Jim Rowan says, you know, we're not a tree, we can change, <laughs> you know, so yeah. we can change what we, how we feel and, and what we want to do. Yeah, someone sa- said something to me years ago where they said, if you want to know what your life is going to be like in five years' time, have a look at someone who's been doing what you're doing five years longer. Yeah. And sometimes that's a scary prospect. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and some people like like to feel, and if you're happy, you know, if your your parents were whatever occupation and their grandparents were, and you're happy to go into that occupation and that's what you want to do, that's absolutely great, you know. But it's looking at if you're not happy, what can I do to to like make my life? Because we have got this one life as far as we know at the moment, you know. Live the life that you want to live, enjoy that that life instead of thinking, well, I should do this, you know, because my family has done it, you know. Actually, you know, think I want to do this because I want to be happy is a much better way, I personally think, to look at it than doing it because somebody else expects you to do it. Yeah, definitely. So how do people go about healing their inner child wounds? Um, I do think what's called somatic reprogramming and it's basically we connect i do a lot of work when i work with my clients one-to-one and do a lot of work talking to their helping them talk to their inner child and connect with their inner child and find out what their inner child needs from them so they can reparent the inner child so that inner child does feel loved does feel worthy does feel good enough and does feel important because when that inner child feels those four it's more likely to want to go ahead and do stuff rather than trying to hold you back. And like we said beforehand, your inner child is a bit like the puppet master and we are like the puppet. So if we want to do things because um, in our mind, we know we've got the skills and the knowledge, but our inner child is scared. They're going to pull the strings and kind of like pull us back and say, whoa, hang on a minute. No, we're not doing that. That's too scary. So it's, it's really like looking at what your inner child wants and how they feel and, um, I do a lot of different like modalities to help you to release the trauma out of your body so you can release anything that's stuck in there that, you know, so you can date stamp whatever happened to you when you were five or six or whenever it was, you can date stamp that in the past. So your body that, okay, well that happened when I was six, but now I'm 30, 40, 50, or whatever age I am. So I'm okay to move forward and do whatever it is that I need to do. That was kind of like taking that memory or the emotional memory of whatever the event was and actually putting it in the filing cabinet for that year rather than leaving it open on the desk to affect us today. Absolutely, yeah. That's a great analogy of it, yeah. It's just that it happened when we were six. But when these protector parts come up, like self-sabotage and procrastination, they see us as that little six-year-old. So we need to, like, inform them that actually, you know, we are now an adult and we've got this and we can help our inner child and we, we're happy to go forward and do whatever new experience it is, even if we do feel a bit nervous about it, because normally with a new experience, everybody feels a bit of buff- butterflies in their stomach because they've never done it before. But it's letting those those parts know that actually I don't need to procrastinate because I can actually have a go at doing this and if I'll either succeed or I'll I'll learn from it. So it's like I said before, our bodies has always given us feedback and data and letting us know what's going on. So use that data, use that feedback to think, okay, where do I need to like start talking to my inner child and find out what my inner child needs from me to feel that she's loved and cared for and validated and heard. Mm-hmm. You mentioned a lot of your clients are women in the sort of 30s, 40s, maybe 50s. Do you only work with women or do you work with men as well? Or No, I do work, work with men men as well, but it just tends to be women that, that 
it's kind of I, I attract, but I, I have got male clients as well, you know, because whether you're male or female, you, you know, you can still have those inner child wounds because everybody's got feelings and emotions and, and they can feel them. Men tend to like <laughs> be very good at burying their feelings and, and not necessarily wanting to like discuss them. But, you know, um, I have had some amazing clients, male clients that have, have really, you know, benefited from healing their inner child. Yeah, I can certainly relate to the uh, burying emotions and things. I did it for years, I think. And I think a lot of that goes back to the things I used to hear in childhoods, like boys don't cry, man up and up, all those kind of things. And whatever you're facing, face it like a man and all, all those stories. But we still have that emotional being or body but it's almost like we're not allowed to bring that out onto the stage. So it just gets hidden, it gets hidden. And then at those rather inconvenient moments, it jumps up and says, hello, it's me. Yeah, absolutely. Got rid of you. <laughs> and it's the same, same with, you know, so many of my clients, like women clients have come to me and said, well, I've got this anger issue, but, you know, I shouldn't be angry. You know, and to me, emotions and feelings, there's no good or bad. They, they're just what they are. It's it, it's the thoughts that we attach to them make them feel good or bad, you know, because yeah. a lot of my clients grew up with a, good girls don't get angry, you know, because it's, so it's somehow wrong to show that you're angry or upset. But that is because the parents often have inner child wounds. And if their child is angry or upset, they look like they feel like they're not good enough parents because their child is acting out as such. So, so we get instilled, and like you say, and it's because parents can't deal with children crying. They'll say, you know, man up, you know, boys don't cry, whatever it is, because it it triggers things in, in our parents because it's not nice to see a child cry, so they try and cover it up. Now, like me with my grandchildren, when, when they cry because they fell over and hurt themselves or something. I just let them cry it out because when you let them cry it out, they it's a natural way of, of dealing with whatever's happened and processing it. So that's why we cry. So it's like, let the child cry, let them process it, and then let's move on. And you see it in adults as well. Somebody's upset and crying. Somebody's like, oh, no, don't cry, don't cry. You know, let's cheer you up. It's like, no, let the person cry. Let them process it because it's once you process it there and then, you don't get stuck with the trauma that gets stuck in the body and then end up having to come and visit somebody like me to sort it out. So it's, you know, and it's often how the other person feels around them, why they'll try and stop them from crying because it will trigger off something in them and, and they they don't, you know, because often if people see somebody else crying, it will make trigger them off to want to cry and they don't want to cry in front of other people as well. So yeah. it's all connected to everybody else having their inner child wounds as well and what they're projecting out as well, which I could go on about for hours, but I won't. <laughs> so I'm guessing for those of us that are parents and we don't want to give our children any of these inner child wounds, which I'm guessing is probably almost impossible. How can we prevent that from happening? I'm guessing the answer is healing our own wounds. Yeah, and to, to, just to caveat everything, if you one thing with parenting guarantee, you're going to mess it up because no child comes with a manual, unfortunately. But the thing with children is like, it's also, yeah, dealing with your own inner child wounds so you can set the good examples. So, you know, a lot of parents won't cry in front of their children because they don't, they want, to put that brave face on but actually what you're teaching a child to do when you do that is they won't be able to express their emotions because they don't see you expressing yours but also with children as well as long as they feel seen and loved and heard they'll they're really really resilient and there'll be times where we'll do things you know I'm sure every single parent is listening has blown their top to their child and thought oh I shouldn't have done that it's just because I'm tired or or I'm hungry or I'm hungry or whatever. But, you know, apologize to them, saying, look, you know, I, I'm sorry, I'm wrong. I shouldn't have said or, or done what I've just done. You know, that was really wrong of me. So the child gets validated, they get seen and they heard their emotions are noticed there and then. And you can say, you know, and I, you know, I can understand why you're upset because of what I've just done. And, you know, you it's okay to be upset about things. It's let, letting children be. Again, letting them cry if, if, they've, if they're hurt, if they're upset. 
rather than trying to stop them crying and trying to cheer them up. You know, I know it's a natural thing because we don't want to see our children hurt, but actually letting them cry out and processing it is the best thing that we can do. But yeah, definitely when we heal our own inner child wounds, we're not then triggered. Like I said with me, if my my grandchildren cry now, I'm not, oh, come here, let grandma give you a cuddle, you know, let's sort it out don't cry don't cry I, I just let them cry you know and I give them a hug and say okay how, how are you doing now you know get them a you know plaster or whatever they need if their knees bleed or whatever it is but let them cry it's okay to to let children cry and it's it's also okay for children to see us cry to see us upset to see us angry knowing that they're okay to feel any emotions because as human beings we're supposed to express our emotions but we don't we tend to suppress them and that's when our body ends up with diseases like autoimmune system fibromyalgia um ibs because, you know, when we suppress those emotions, they have to come out somewhere and they'll often come out in aches and pains in our bodies or inflammation in our bodies, which doesn't do us any good at all either. So it's like, so if you're angry, express that anger, obviously not by punching somebody else in the nose or something. In a healthy you know, way. <laughs> yeah, a healthy way. Grab a pillar or go out in the woods and scream that you're angry or whatever. Just let it out. And it's okay to be angry. It's okay to be sad. You know, and if you're feeling sad, sit with that sadness and just let it be. And so you can let it be and let it come out of you as well. Because if you think, oh, well, I feel sad, but I'm going to have to push it down. Just smile and say, hi, I'm fine. Because that's not doing your body any good either. Yeah. Yes. It's certainly a bizarre, interesting experience crying in front of your children for the first time. Or it certainly has been for me. And it's only really been this year because a lot of it, a lot of stuff I wasn't connected to in the past. And we got, watched the Green Mile with the kids a few weeks ago. Oh my goodness! And yeah, um, yeah. And I was, I was gone. I didn't expect that to happen. And but at the same time, I didn't fight it. And Good. when my fa- father went to hospital earlier this year. And the doctors are say, saying, oh, um, this is probably going to be his last visit. And while you're sort of trying to process and understand what he's actually saying, as in he's nearly go about to die, which we knew anyway. Mm. But the way he said it, it kind of hit me and ends up crying on my girlfriend's shoulders. And that, even that, just having that space as an adult to be able to cry and let that emotion flow through rather than trying to hold it back is very a very very different thing Mm. so we're definitely not helping our kids by not letting them cry yeah absolutely and like I say, letting them see that that you, you cry because you're a great role model if you can cry in front of them because then they'll say, oh, it's okay for us to cry too, you know, because because dad's crying, especially with, with dads because like you said before, you know, men grow up hearing men don't cry, your big boys don't cry, so they stuff their feelings down, which, you know, it, and and this is why the suicide rate in men is so so high, you know, especially like in like forties yeah. and fifty year olds, because they've suppressed their emotions all their life, and it's eventually erupted. And unfortunately, it ha- happened to be suicides because they're in so much pain, they don't know what else to do to escape it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I've I've been in that pl- place myself in the past. It's it's not a nice pl- place to be, and also some. Something I notice is that um, when men talk, a lot of the time it will be with other men and while they're doing activities and things. But a lot of the opportunities other previous generations have had, whether it's working men's clubs or things like that, are either closed or been forced to allow women in to create that gender equality. So those spaces aren't available anymore, which doesn't help. No. Absolutely not. You know, so it's like you're doing a great job by by 
showing your children it's okay to cry and to, to release those emotions so they're not suppressing them down and bottling them up they're just when things happen they'll they'll cry and they'll do those things so they don't end up with those traumas and those inner child wounds and things because they're they're processing them at the time and that's the, the best thing to do because trauma isn't the event that happens it's how we've we feel oh, about the event and how we think about it afterwards it's not the event so if at the time of tra- something traumatic happens you know like with it like your dad if your your son can be there and, and cry and release that he's not going to feel traumatized about the situation he'll you know be sad about it, obviously losing his granddad but it's not going to be traumatic for him that that's going to come out and sort of bite him in the backside in years to come yeah yeah definitely and one of the things that that comes up for me in this conversation is if you've got one parent who's actively trying to reduce the effects that their parenting has on the children, and the other one is completely oblivious to the effects, then that becomes very complicated, especially if they're separated like myself and my kid's mother, because our parenting styles are 180 degrees apart. And, and that comes back to, okay, how you feel about things and, and what you can control and what you can influence and what, what you can't control, you need to let, think about letting go of because you can control how your relationship is with your children and give them that, that foundation of being in love, heard and validated. So hopefully when they go to to their other parent who maybe isn't doing that sort of thing, they they can still have that self-worth in them so they don't have that inner child where actually I do know I'm lovable because my dad said this or, or my mum or whoever that the, the parent is so it's that whatever you can do to to in that's in your control to give them as much of that love and validations that you can possibly get I mean, and kids are very quick to pick up and, and notice things I mean like me for example my mother's a narcissist but my dad was lovely you know and I, I would listen more to what my dad would say and how he thought about things than I would my mother because she didn't have my my best interests at heart you know, because she she wasn't capable of loving me because of the fact she was a narcissist. But children are very good at picking up on that. So it's doing the best that you can with the situation that you've got, with the resources that you've got, and that's all that we all can do as well. Yeah, definitely. Doesn't necessarily make it any easier at times. Absolutely not. No, it's like <laughs> a minefield, isn't it? But but you know, it's like I mean, I, I look back and think, oh my goodness, though, if I was a parent now and my children were younger, I would probably parent completely different. But you know, we're often wiser in hindsight. But the one thing I did do, you know, and I've had these conversations with my children is they all felt loved and they all felt heard because that's a big thing for me. Because as a child, you know, where my mother was concerned, I didn't feel loved or heard or, or feel safe. So that was a main thing for me with making sure that my children felt loved, heard and safe. Did I lose my temper at times? Did I do things wrong? Absolutely, I did. But they all knew that I loved and cared for them. And I would say, look, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm wrong. I've done this wrong. And, you know, I would let them, you know, have their feelings and their emotions. And, and you know, I broke that, you know, I am that cycle breaker. I broke that trauma trauma of generations because, you know, looking at my children now and my grandchildren, they're, they're completely different, had a completely different childhood to what I've had, you know, because of all the stuff that I've learned along the way. So and it is the thing, like I said before, the one thing you can guarantee with parenting, we're going to mess it up somewhere along the line. But, you know, you can do the best that you can with the resources that you've got and the knowledge you've got at the time. But it's thinking about, OK, you know, if you want to have it different, what can I do to change it? Where where can I learn and, and seek out that help and seek out that knowledge? You know, we've got the Internet now, which is full of all sorts of of wonderful um, knowledge and things. So. So, yeah, but the main thing is children just want to be be loved and seen and heard. You know, it doesn't matter what it is. I mean, the example I'll never forget was um, a couple of years ago, I had a, a birthday party, but it was like an open house. And my youngest daughter came with my little four-year-old granddaughter. And then they went, but we hadn't um, cut the cake. And she woke up the next morning sobbing. And my daughter said, what's the matter? She oh, I didn't get a bit of grandma's cake. And, she, and it was because she she's four. That was her whole world at that time. Now, if my daughter had gone, oh, don't be silly. It's fine. 
my granddaughter could have acted really differently, but she didn't. She said, well, tell you what, we're seeing grandma later. I'll phone grandma up and get her to bring a piece over. So we, we made sure that she was seen and heard. And I, I, as soon as I saw my granddaughter, I said, I've got a piece of cake for you in the car. I, I remember to bring it over. And she was absolutely fine. And, you know, the next year when we had a piece of cake, she didn't go to pieces because she thought she was going to miss out because she knew she it was okay because we, we sorted that out, you know. So it's understanding that when a child is really upset and you think, why are they upset over that? You've got to remember, whatever they're upset about at that t- particular time, that's their whole world. You know, even if they've lost their, their painting on the way home from school that they painted at school, you know, it may just be a bit of paper with a drawing on, but to us but to them that is something really significant so it's like actually listening to them and hearing what they've got to say and validate and saying yeah you know it's okay to be upset I understand that you're upset let's see what we can do to sort it out and that's the main thing you can do with your children is just to 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 love them and hear them and see them and yeah they'll 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 do whatever they do and, and things will happen and you'll think oh my goodness did I create that in that child but sometimes it's just their personality and the way they are so so yeah yeah it's also being kind to yourself and giving yourself a break because <laughs> nobody's perfect back to that being perfect what we started talking about at the beginning and we're all going to get things wrong along the way but yeah we're all a combination of um of our parents and grandparents um traumas and influences and good stuff and everything that makes up part of us. So it does make me wonder how much effect us parents actually have sometimes. Yeah, exactly. You know, and it's like how much effect, you know, how often do do kids see their grandparents or their aunts and uncles who have got completely different ideas about things and say different things, you know. So it's it's interesting. Like when I hear some people talking to my grandchildren, I'm thinking, oh, you know, I wouldn't say that to them but you know it's their opinion and it's up to the child to kind of sort sort that out and sometimes we we can't have that control over them but we can always love them and make them be be seen and heard and I will always come back to to those three things if they feel loved seen and heard then they can start to make their own decisions and make their own mind up as they as they get older and decide what what they feel is good for them if they've got that that solid foundation of feeling seen loved and heard Mm. And how have your inner child wounds affected your relationships over the years? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> completely. Um, my inner child wound of not feeling good enough and not feeling worthy attracted a couple of narcissists because, you know, I was just wanted to, like, help them out and, and make their life as wonderful as possible. And I was just the doormat. And I thought that was okay because, you know, I was helping them feel better about themselves. So, so yeah. But when you've got those inner child wounds healed, you'll then think, okay, actually, no, I, I'm worth more than that. You know, I love me and I deserve to be that. And we look after ourselves better. Self-care becomes a priority. And actually you don't put up with all the things that, you know, somebody who's disrespectful to you in a relationship would would do because you haven't got those inner child wounds of like okay well they've given me a bit bit of love here in some way shape or form so so that that's okay and I'll just hang on and wait for the next little bit of you know tip bit of of whatever you know they're gonna like dish out to me whenever they feel like it so yeah it hugely affected my relationships not only romantic relationships but my relationships with with friends as well you know, I was a huge, huge people pleaser because my inner child didn't want to be rejected. She wanted to feel loved. So whenever anybody asked me to do something, all everybody around me was kind of like, well, go ask Brooke, she'll do it. And I would do everything I could for everybody because I grew up thinking I hate to be so unhappy. When I grow up, I want everybody to be happy and I'll, I'll do that even if it kills me. And it nearly did. I was completely exhausted. So it's that people-pleasing part of like not wanting to be rejected, wanting to feel loved and feel worthy. So, yeah, it has a huge effect when you've got unhealed wounds and, and the kind of people that you attract in your life. And now, you know, my inner child wounds are healed and the, my husband is is like a completely different relationship to the, all the ones I've had before. Before then, you know, I, he respects me and he loves me, but I'm not needing of his love. And I've always said, you know, people are in my life now because I want them in my life, not because I need them. And that's a huge difference. But when you've got those inner child wounds, you need other people to validate you to soothe those inner child wounds. Excellent. Mm. 
how long have you been uh, married now? I know it's quite a while. Hey, it's five years. We've been together 13 years, but we were married five years this year, which is in September it was, yeah. So, yes. Wonderful. And how did you meet him? I met him at a mutual friend's birthday party. And then um, a couple of weeks later, he had a birthday party and invited me along. And and I did that that um, thing that I used to do, like, oh, well, I'm single and you're single. Let, let's go have a drink. Not thinking any more of it because he's actually 13 <laughs> years younger than me. And then that was on the Friday on the Saturday morning. I got a text saying, when do you want to meet up for a drink? And I thought, oh, OK. I thought, well, I've got loads of male friends. Another one won't hurt. Yeah, we'll go out for a drink on Tuesday. <laughs> we went out for a drink on Tuesday and the rest, they say, is history. We've been together ever since. So, And I can't even say, well, I didn't know how old he was because I was actually his 30th birthday party. So, <laughs> so yeah. But, um, so, yeah, I've got myself a little toy boy, which is absolutely amazing. <laughs> so, yeah. Excellent. Yeah, so, yeah, so, um, so, yeah, and it does really affect your relationships with, you know, not only your romantic partners, like I said, but also your, your friendships and also relationships with, with your relatives and stuff like your children and, and your parents and, and extended family as well, because how you feel will affect how you react or respond to other people. Yeah. And it also, well, more importantly, affects the relationship we have with that person looking back at us in the mirror. Absolutely, yeah, that's what I was going to say. It is, it's like, how do we feel about ourselves? It's it's really, and it's back to like working with the inner child, connect with your inner child and, and how you feel about you. And I always say now that I love myself and anybody else who loves me is, is a bonus because I don't need anybody else to validate me now because i've i've done that that work and it's and it's the difference as, as well because when you've got unhealed wounds you react to things you get triggered to things but once you've healed those you can now respond to them because you stay in that logical part of your brain and you respond to things rather than than yeah. reacting to them somebody could say something and like you know, if somebody said something to me 10 years ago, I'd have kind of really reacted. But if they said the same thing to me now, I'd be like, oh, OK, that's interesting. I wonder what's going on in their their world for them to say that. You know, So I get curious now and, and I'm a completely different you know, re response rather than the reacting as well. So if you find yourself reacting a lot to things. Get curious. Okay, why am I reacting like that? What what's going on? You know, with my inner child, for me to feel that I need to react like that. Like if somebody says something really, really angry to you, do you blurt back anger things to them because they're angry at you? Whereas if somebody's angry and I can hear them being angry and they blurt something angry out at me, I think, okay, I wonder what's happening in their life for them to feel so angry. I don't say think to myself, oh my goodness. Um, they're, they're they're attacking me so i need to kind of attack them back as such yes. yeah the relationship with ourselves is the, the the main one that we need to focus on yeah yeah because we take ourselves to every relationship we go to absolutely yeah we're ourselves 24 7 we need to be our biggest cheerleader and we're often our, our our worst critic but actually if we start to talk to ourselves like we would our best friend our our lives would change you know in in a big way because we cheer ourselves on all the time and, and like when we do something that we're not you think oh my goodness that was stupid is it? and saying oh I can't believe you've done something really stupid think oh actually that was a, a, a stupid thing I did but actually how would you say that to your friend if your friend said oh I've just done this really stupid thing and like, oh yeah well yeah maybe it was a bit tough but you know it's not that bad and, and you kind of like help them to feel better about themselves whereas we, we don't ourselves we just keep going and going and going and and you know that self-doubt will appear again because we're setting those seeds so yeah really think about being your your best cheerleading your best friend rather than your your worst critic yeah you know one of the things that helped me is um when i look at do, doing some something new or whatever and i'm fearful of it and i try and help myself back so like, hang on a minute would I hold my children back like this or would I encourage them to do it? Absolutely, and yeah. It's like every time I'd encourage them to do it. So it's like, why am I not encouraging myself? And then you kind of flip the script around and start to take action on whatever it is anyway. Absolutely, yeah. You know, it's like we, the, I was thinking of the example of like when your child's learning to walk, it'll take one step, fall on its bum. And if you say, oh, no, don't take another step because you might fall down and hurt yourself. But parents don't do that. Like, up you get, <laughs> off you go again, keep yeah. going. And eventually they learn to walk, you know, so. 
yeah, and then they encourage them to talk and everything, and then they spend the next 20 years trying to get them to sit down and shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, it is, it's, it's comical when you look at it, but yeah, we're, we're funny creatures as human beings, aren't we? So <laughs> We are indeed. We have the big, allegedly have the biggest brains and the most intelligence on the planet. We do some of the most dumbest stuff we've ever. <laughs> Absolutely, we do, yeah. They mentioned before we started recording that you've got a masterclass coming up. Yeah, well, a boot camp, yeah. I've got a boot camp coming up in, in January. Um, it's called Heal Your Inner Child, Heal You, strangely enough, <laughs> um, which is on the 22nd of January. And... Um, it will be um if anybody's interested they can send me an email and i can give them the details and i'll give you all the links to put in the show notes um afterwards so they can contact me on that but it's a, a free 3 day boot camp where they'll they'll learn about inner child wounds and how to start sort of like healing them and um we have such an amazing time do, doing them and people it's amazing what they can learn and achieve in those three days. So, yeah, I love doing my – it's a great kickstart to the year as well, sort of having that in January to, like, start off 2024. Can't believe yeah. I'm saying that now. But it's like I'm not sure where 2023 went, but, yeah. Yeah, it was only January last week, wasn't it? Um, yeah. <laughs> so is that an in-person event or is that on Zoom? No, it, it's Zoom. It's, it's all virtual, so it doesn't matter where you are in the world, you can join it. And it's all recorded. There's a private Facebook group. So if you happen to not be on the same time zone as me, you can watch the, the replays back and, and still interact with it and, and learn from it. So, so yeah, um, people from all over the world tend to join in. I've had people from America, Australia, New Zealand, Zimbabwe, <laughs> Spain, Greece, Germany, all over the world. So, yeah, wherever you live in the world, you can still join in. And um, what's that costing? It's free. Absolutely free. Excellent. Just, just, just some of your time. You know, a bit of time to to watch the the Facebook live and then do the little tasks that set, which aren't huge tasks, but they there are game changing tasks. So, so yeah, so um, so yeah, it's it's a great thing to do. So that's on the twenty second of January. But like I said, I'll put the information about that in the the show notes for you, so people can can get ready to join up for that. Excellent. So. Aside from emailing you regarding this masterclass, if anyone wants to reach out and say hello or share, share some of, excuse me, I'm breaking these teeth in for a horse, um, <laughs> share some of their insights that they've picked up from this conversation with you, where can they find you? Um, they can um, email me at brooke at brookbounds.com. Um, I also offer a, a complimentary 30-minute um, call. Um, I'll put that link in the – they can just book, click on the calendar link and book a call with me so they can happily you know, come and have a 30-minute chat with me and it doesn't cost them anything, You know, especially if it's something they think, oh, my goodness, you know, that sounds like me and where do I go from here? You know, feel free to – and I've also got a free group that's for women – um, all about healing in a child, heal you. So they're welcome as well to come and join that as well if they want to. Or Fred requests me on Facebook, which I'll also put the links to in the in the show notes. Excellent. And if you should reach out to Brooke, please mention this podcast in doing so. Absolutely, yeah. And I've also got a book. I just quickly, I'll um, don't know. You'll put it on on YouTube. Eh? It's like it's called. Um, you can have it. How to break through the self sabotage cycle, which is available on Amazon um it's a very good book with like 12 chapters and it's got exercises at the end of each chapter so you can work your way through them to sort of break through that self-sabotage cycle and again i'll put the link um give you the link so you can pop it in the show notes and i have a sneaking suspicion you wrote your book a lot faster than i wrote mine i, I wrote and published it in 90 days yes <laughs> yeah mine took Mine was about four months, so you beat me about by about thirty. So <laughs> yeah, that, that's good going writing it in four months. So yeah, yeah, and I, I basically did that not to like say, oh, I've done this in ninety days. It was like to get people to think because I love to inspire people. Get people to think what could they achieve in ninety days? And so many people started off said, oh, you know, you're brave doing that. I could never do that. Then a few weeks in, because I was I was documenting it every day on Facebook. They're saying, oh my goodness, I've just started writing the first chapter of my book, or I've just decided I'm going to start a business. I'm going to you know go for that promotion. And one person even said, I'm going to ask my friend, uh, a friend of mine that I really fancy 
out for a cup of coffee because I thought that's the least I can do if you can write a book and publish it in 90 days I can ask somebody out (laughs) for a cup of coffee so as far as I was concerned before the book was even published it was a success because people were thinking about oh what can I do and and actually taking the action and doing those things so it was it was amazing I loved it excellent so final question for today and it's one I don't prime anybody for but I always end the podcast with the same question and that is, as this pod is called Relationship Revolutions, in your opinion, what is one thing that will bring a revolution to the world of dating and relationships? Just be yourself. Don't try and be something that you expect the other person to be. Just be you, and then you'll find the person that's actually going to be the person that should be in your, your life. Because if you pretend to be what you think they they want you to see, eventually you comes out and that's the relationship can go a bit peaked on then so yeah just just yeah. be you and enjoy enjoy it enjoy the relationship I, I can remember when I got with um my husband a few of my friends were like oh my goodness what what about if he wants to get married what about if he wants to have children I'm like oh I've done that I'm you know I've already got four children I think I've done my bit for society so if he wants to get married and have children he'll have to go find somebody else you know I'm just gonna enjoy you know where we are right now and see what what happens you know never say never because I end up getting married to him but um, I haven't had any more children though thankfully but um but yeah so it's thinking about you know not always thinking about okay what is what is what is actually be present and enjoy being with that person there and then you know because you're going to get so much out of that relationship if you're just you and you're present yeah the only time really is right here and right now absolutely yeah yeah because tomorrow's never promised so just enjoy what you've got today right now so you're right and yesterday's history absolutely <laughs> rook it's been an honor and a pleasure having having you on and chatting with you today yeah, and thank um, you very much we'll for be catching me. up very very soon thank you thanks thank for having you for me listening and if you haven't already please leave me a review on your preferred podcast platform click the like button and also subscribe so that you get the new episode notifications. I'm curious, what did you take away from this episode? Please share your takeaways with me. Send me an email to relationship-revolutions at theloveengineer.rocks.